We are in chapter 16, but for context, we're going to pick it back up in chapter 15, starting in verse 22. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they had come to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter or bitterness. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it in the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and he, there he tested them. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Ilim, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. This is where we left off last week. I want to remind you, God has now removed them from the land of bondage. It's been four centuries that they've been in bondage. 430 years they've been in Egypt. If you can do the math, how many years did they enjoy prosperity in Egypt? 30. Very good. 30. And then the other 400 of them now, they had been in bondage. That means your grandfather, your grandfather's grandfather, or at least I should say your grandfather's father were all slaves in Egypt. That's all you've known. That's all your dad's known. That's all your granddad's known. It's all your nan's known. It's been bondage. Now they've been removed from that bondage. And we've been delivered. Well, no, we've been removed. Delivered is to be taken from one place and brought properly to its location, to its end destination. And they haven't received that yet. They won't make it there for 40 years. And in between that, there is a time in the wilderness now understand, when we cry out to God for deliverance, we want to see God remove from us normally something in our life we usually hate. And it's normally not us. Most of the time, for some of us it's a little bit more clear that way, but for most of us we just hate the situations we're in, life is pretty rough, things are pretty hard, and we say, God, please get me out of this. I don't want to go to hell and I don't want to live anymore like it here. So God does. In Scripture, it tells us that we have been. The moment you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and let me make that clear before we even get into our text for the day, everything starts at the cross. We are all guilty before God because of our own selfish, self-centered, self-centric world we live in. And God, in His infinite love for us, took all of your filth and mine too, and He nailed it onto His Son and had Him die on a cross, which God said, even in Deuteronomy, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And then three days later, just like God promised, he rose from the dead, which makes him different from any other guy that said he was going to do something nice for you. And as he rose from the dead, he offers you a brand new life. He's done all the hard work. And then he gives you one option. And the option is, will you receive this or not? Will you accept this gift? He's paid the price. The only thing left is to say yes or not. If you've said yes, the moment you have, welcome to the family. We're weird we're eclectic. Yes, we are. But we are saved. And the moment we said yes, we've been saved from the penalty of our sin. But Scripture also says we are being saved. And you go, well, how can that be? It also says in Scripture that we will be saved. And that becomes a little even stranger yet. Well, wait a minute. Which one is it? If I have been saved, how am I still being saved? And if I'm still being saved, how is it that I will be saved? The answer is that they're all true. The moment I said yes to Jesus, I was saved from the penalty of my sin. I stand before God completely innocent, completely innocent, because the blood of Jesus has covered all of my sins. So I've been saved from the penalty of my sin. But the moment I said yes to him, God moved inside. The moment Delek said yes to Jesus Christ, she gave Jesus permission to make a new home, and that's inside her. Jesus now becomes the new landlord of Delek. And the moment that she said yes to him then, from that point on, God is saving her from the power of sin in her life. Oh, she, like every other person, like Jenny, like myself, like Mel, we all, well, we've had a chance to develop some pretty rotten apps on our drive system. And with that then, God starts to eradicate them. He starts to remove them. 
So the moment I said yes to Jesus, he saved me from the penalty of sin. But from this point until I die, he saves me from its power. Each day I see less of its hold on my life, and each day I see more of his control. And it's beautiful. One day, I will stand before him, and I will be saved from the very presence of sin. It will never exist again around me. I won't even remember it ever existed. So, in other words, God saved me from hell the day that I said yes. From this point till I stand before him, God saves me from me. And that's a little rough. And that's what we have, really, if you think about it, in this book, from this point on. They've been saved from the enemy. The enemy got, well, he got drowned in the Red Sea in chapter 14. But now, something strange happens. We leave that place. We've watched the enemy taken down. We feel victorious. And God says, this is only the beginning, friends. Welcome to surgery. Welcome to the new work. Now, the good news is, Scripture says that he who began a work, a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. God knew the cost. He knew all the struggle you'll give him. He knew all of it before he even began the project. And he knows exactly what he's going to make of you. And according to Scripture, it says we are his poema. We get the word poem from it. You may have it as workmanship. The best definition I can see of it is his masterpiece. Though God creates the crab nebulae, those crazy fish that look like they're marquees underneath the depths of the water that we're just discovering, the bombardier beetle that shoots fire out of its rear end to get away from things. Now, as a boy, I think that's pretty darn cool. Yet in all the things he made, God looks and he says, Masterpiece. That's what it is. The good news is is that he isn't done with us. I mean, if God spoke the universe into existence with a word and God's been working on you since you said yes, could you imagine how good you're going to be? Now, with that in mind, the moment we left the Red Sea and we saw the enemy taken down, the entire army washed in the Red Sea, we start to recognize that there's this weird dissatisfaction in us. And that seems strange to us. When I'm saved now, how can I not be just totally happy all the time? And I find there are these appetites inside of me that start, I start to struggle with. And in that, God is revealing something. And that's what we got in this first portion, where all of a sudden we realize that there's a thirst still inside of us. And we go, what is this? And all of a sudden we recognize there's bitterness. We've come to the place, the wilderness of Shura, which means the wall. And at the wall, we hit the wall at bitterness. And God says, this is one of the first things I want to save you from, is your bitterness. Whatever it is you've been bitter in, if God has really saved you, and I mean saved you, then he's forgiven every rotten thing you have and will do. And if he's done that, then what right do we have to not forgive someone else? Now, in that, it's interesting, and and don't believe me, search the scriptures, see what it says, but it's interesting that what it says is that when the people finally complain about it, which, by the way, becomes in essence one of the symptoms that prove that there's some bitterness in your heart is a complaining mouth. In Matthew 12:34, it says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, what's really sad is it doesn't say from the contents, the contents of the heart, the mouth speaks, because that would be a little bit better. But from the overflow, the abundance, that means that I don't just have some of that in my heart. My heart is so full of it that it can't contain it anymore, and it's fallen out of my mouth. And if I'm complaining, that doesn't mean I've got a little complaint in my heart. That means my heart is overflowing with complaints. And at that point, God says, you've got bitterness, boy. So when the people finally complain to Moses, Moses does what anyone should do. And that's that he cries out to God and says that the Lord showed him a tree. And once we throw the tree into the water, into the bitterness, it's all made better. We will find by Deuteronomy, it says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And I can't help but think that that tree that God's going to show us is the cross. And at the cross, the moment I look at bitterness and I feel like I have a right to be angry, I have a right to, well, you know, so you know the message, you realize what they did and how rotten they are. Oh, no, I don't, I'm not saying it wasn't rotten. I'm not saying it wasn't miserable. I'm not saying it wasn't evil. But in the end of it all, it's interesting what God says in this text. He goes, look, if you could throw the cross and in the middle of that bitterness, we can make this thing sweet. And you go, I don't really believe that. And God says, where's your faith? How big am I? Am I God almighty or am I God some mighty? 
And at that point, I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. And the cross gets thrown into it. But listen to this. And this is the Lord tested them. And it says, because I want you to not only hear, I want you to do. And that's how it is, because I'm going to provide. And he says, because you need to know, listen to this, that I am the Lord who heals you. It's a strange thing to say at a moment like that, unless you've ever really been in bondage to bitterness. In other words, if you've been, if you are right now in bondage to bitterness, dare I say it, but I'm going to, you're sick. You're spiritually sick. God wants to be the God who heals you. Not just the God who puts up with you or the God who's contractually obligated to not let you go to hell, but the God who heals you. And he goes, look, if you would do what I say, you'll never have to go back to Mara again. Listen to that again. If you do what I say, if you listen intently to every word, don't forget the not, for instance, when I say thou shalt not. But in that, if you listen intently and then do what I tell you, you'll never have to go back to this place again. You'll actually be healed from this place forever. Wouldn't that be great? God says, now it's time for me to start showing you the next area that you need to be delivered from in yourself. And all of a sudden I realize how rough this is to read because it's a bit, well, it's a bit biographical at this point. Or autobiographical, except I didn't write it. Now, follow me on this. Ultimately, what God's going to do now is he's going to start showing them hunger. And as he starts to show them hunger, he's going to say, look, there are two things I want to make sure that you do with this. One is, I don't want you to hoard when I provide. And the second is, I want you to rest when I provide. Listen to that again. I don't want you to hoard when I provide. And I want you to rest when I provide. Now, I'm going to tell you, the, <clears throat> excuse me. The Lord has this way of putting us in places that are really rough to go to. Now, look at all of a sudden we've left Mara, this place of bitterness. But we, when we left it, it was no longer bitter. What was it according to this? It was it was sweet. And all of a sudden this place that has always been bitter in my mind now is a place of sweetness. And I walk out of this and I go, wow, that's sweet. And all of a sudden he brings us to a place called Elim. And Elim means, well, it's a place... Palm trees. And it tells us here that there were 12 pools of water and 70 palm trees. Now, knowing the Middle East a bit, I would more than likely imagine that these palm trees are date palm trees, which means all I have to do, think about it, you've gone from a place that was dry and all the only water was bad to drink, and now all of a sudden, there we are, and we're just kind of sitting there in the pool of water, just sticking out our hand, and drops a date. Talk about food service. You are there and it's falling out. Food is falling out of the sky and you're thinking, this is good. But I want to warn you that there is a cloud by day and a fire by night that we're supposed to be following. And the cloud starts moving. And at a point like that, you would think, dang it. This is good. We could stay here. This is good. This is the promised land, right? This is it. And God's like, no, this is a pit stop. It's better than anything you've known but it's not as good as I'm going to take you to. And please understand that'll happen in every one of our walks. God will pull you out of one place, and when he pulls you out of it, you'll go, this is the best I've ever seen. God says, but it isn't the best I have to offer. Hear that again, please. Because some of us will be like, well, it's better than any place I've been. And God goes, is that good enough for you, or do you want my best? And for some of us, it'll be like, well, a little bit of the Lord, but a little bit of the world and a little bit of bondage, but a little bit of hallelujah and a little bit of church and a little bit of the clubs. And, a little, and, after, and God's like, this is the goofiest cocktail that ever exists. And you're like, but it's better than I've ever had. And that's because you've added a little bit of the Lord to the mix. Now, I've always been the one that maybe you're not like this, but I've always been the kind of person that if a little is good, a lot must be awesome. Now, that's not always the case, but I've learned with the Lord it is. You can never overdose on Jesus, and I challenge you to try. And so, if a little bit of the Lord in the mix is good, imagine what happens when you add a lot of the Lord to the mix. Or it's only the Lord in the mix. Everything changes. Now we get to chapter 16. And we are leaving Elam for the wilderness. Now think about this for a moment. Here we are in this place. And it's not which one of you wants to go. I'm Moses for the second. Remember, Moses isn't even talking to the people. Because Moses is talking to his big brother, three years his old, and Aaron. And Aaron's telling everyone. So there's that. Moses says. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but that would really stink to be Aaron. And one of the reasons is this moment. Everybody's chilling out at the pool. 
you know, sitting there with their date shakes, doing their little date jokes. How about a date? That kind of thing. And all of a sudden, there they are. Food's falling out of the sky. And, and, and Moses has got to go, hey. And Aaron's got to go, the cloud is leaving. And you're thinking, well, that's okay. I can still chill here. This is good. If it gets hot without the cloud, I'm all right. I got a pool. And he's like, but that's the Lord. And he goes, let's go. Now, which one of you thinks, yippee, must get better? Because when we look this direction, it's barrenness. There aren't any palm trees. There aren't any, you know, pools that we see. All we see is desert. And I'm thinking, who wants to go with me to the dunes? And everyone's like, no, this is good. This is better. Because it's all we see. But the Lord has some things ordained in your wilderness and my wilderness we will never see at Elam. And that becomes the problem. Is at a moment like this, the Lord's got to pull you out of this. And one of the things I've learned about getting you into the wilderness where it's spartan and vacant is it really gets simple. And when it gets simple, you really don't get as distracted. So when the Lord speaks, it's a little more easy to understand. So look at chapter 16 with me, would you? This is what we read now. <clears throat> and they journeyed from Elam. Ah. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Does any of you think, uh-oh, wilderness of sin? That can't be good. Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt, which means they've been out for at least a month. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. That is about two million people complaining against you. What a rough day that would be. When was the last time more than one person complained to you on, a, on the course of a day and you were okay with it by the end of the day? How many people does it take to gut you? I got complained. One person complained at me. I was gutted. Gutted I was with one person. <laughs> Right? So you're, you're, no, you're, you're comparing. It was a rough day. How about you? Two people complained against me. I was gutted. Moses, how about you? Two million people. Shut up. They complained. The whole congregation. My goodness. And God's like, and it's, isn't it amazing when God says, I'm going to kill him. And Moses says, don't do it. Now think about it. That's why you aren't Moses. Because if you were there, you're like, go right ahead. We can start over. They complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The wilderness of sin. Sin means thorny. Can you say sin? Yeah, that wasn't bad. Welcome. I feel like you're here. Can you say sinai? That wasn't bad. Now give me a little bit of ha into it. Sinai. Sinai means thorny or barrenness. And the idea is simple. We are someplace near the sort of barren, on our way to great barrenness. The wilderness of Sinai and Mount Sinai is the mountain of thorns or barrenness. Now that's a really fun idea, isn't it? And the people look at a moment like this because they're hungry and they look and they're like, oh, don't you remember? And you know how this starts. Nobody talks to Moses first and nobody talks to the Lord. Have you noticed that? So it starts with a little conversation. Do you remember that? Oh, you could eat bread buffet. Oh, I remember that. Oh, the pumpernickel. Oh, that was good. And the bagels. Oh, the bagels. I love the bagels. And the pots of meat. Oh, the pots of meat. Oh. I'm salivating at the thought, except I'm so thirsty. I'd have to drink my own spit. Oh, yeah. Right? And you start thinking, and what happens then? Jenny goes, oh, Mel, remember that? And Mel goes, oh, yes, the Swiss steak. And she turns around and she speaks to Marcy. And Marcy goes, oh, the jerk chicken. Mm, I love that jerk chicken. Mm, bowls and bowls and bowls of jerk chicken. Mm, I love jerk chicken. Right? And then all of a sudden she turns around over here and Bjorn and Bjorn goes, ah, yeah, and the shrimp on the barbie, eh? Right? I love it. And by the time you're done, 
by the time you're done, it's like you're all at your favorite restaurant that didn't exist in Egypt. Does that make sense? By this point, it's like amazing how the menu got bigger. Sooner or later, garlics and leek and onions are going to be part of the menu. It doesn't seem like they show up here. Maybe you just don't miss it yet. But somewhere in it, I was like, oh, man, oh, yeah, and I love that peony stuff or whatever they call that. That's like Spanish and a big thing, right? Oh, I love that. And we're all missing our things. Bruno's like, I miss that stew with the pig every part that they make. I miss the Turkish barbecue. And they look and they complain at Moses. And this is what they say. Look, you know what? If we're going to die, why didn't we just die back there? I would have rather died. Listen, listen. I would have rather died in my bondage than this. And what's worse is they're not even talking to the Lord. But what Moses knows is the same thing that we should. And that is complaining to another person is really complaining at God. It was one of the first lessons I learned with my wife. Not because she told me, praise the Lord, but uh, because the Lord did, but it was, it was rough enough. It's like, look, you want to complain about your wife? And then, like, she doesn't really give me any reason to complain, but you can find something. You can make it up. And, and all of a sudden, you start going, the Lord goes, you know what? Let's go back to Genesis. Remember what Adam, you want to, remember the trick he tried to pull on me? It's the woman you gave me, God. Who is he actually pointing at there? You know, if you hadn't given me this thing, I wouldn't be in this problem. God's like, I, 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 know when you're, I know when you're trying to blame me and you won't, you're not man enough to admit it. Well, let me ask you, where are you at today? Are you looking back at the world you came from and think, oh, it was so beefy. Now look at me. Or are you not? Because God's going to show him something in this. See, what God's going to do, listen, God's going to show himself to be your provider But to show himself to be your provider, God is not Santa. And I have to ask myself a question. Understand, this isn't for you. This is for me. If it all affects you, good. And that is, is more of my prayer life the Santa list? Or is it really me showing up for his deployment? Is it more, God, I want, I want, gimme, 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 this is good, this is good. I've already figured it, I made your life easy, God. I figured out everything you need to get me, now just step on in. Or is it not my will, yours be done? And when I first got saved, I'll be honest with you, it was certainly much more of that, but the problem is it fluctuates. Sometimes it even seems really noble. I'll be like, you know, God, you need to heal that person, and that thing needs to happen, and please provide for that person, and please do this. And God's like, well, what if I wanted to do something else? Because please understand this. Nothing is more important to God than your relationship with Him. Nothing is more important. And if what it takes to get you to be close to Him is something rough, rather you there. If the only time you cry out to God is when you're sick, it's amazing you're ever well. If you're like, I'm just too busy. I'm too busy. I can't have a quiet time. I'm busy. Do you know how busy I'm? God's like, I'll take care of that. Bam! And there you are like, I'm sick. I can't do anything. And God's like, Bonnie, we can spend time together now. I'm not intimidated by what's flowing out of your nose or what is coming out of your mouth. I mean, in the end of it all, I've been watching it since you were little. Right? Everyone else will leave you alone. So be careful. You want to try to play games with God and tell him how you don't have time. God will make time for you. But don't you understand, I'm in the middle of this really big deal, and man, if this breaks through, God's like, I could take that away if you really want to. And you're like, no, 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 no. So I usually pray, God, can I actually walk closest to you in great blessing? <laughs> well, anyways, you get the idea. So, in our text, friends, please hear me on this. The people are in a place, I want to remind you, what's behind us? Can you remember what's behind us? Elam. That's the place with the pools and the palms. Does that make sense? So I'm going to ask you again, now you can respond like you know. What's behind us? Right. The place of the pools and the palms. Right? Okay. So there we are. Kicking in at the pool. All you can eat. And now we're looking back. Now we've left that place. I don't know how long it's been. But there is something interesting because I don't know if you know this, but eating a lot of dates could really do something. Anyways, I won't go there. But you can... (laughs) You might really need a lot more water and some real food. Anyway, so... So now this is where it gets profound to me. Because now the Lord's speaking. And notice what the Lord says. The Lord speaks to Moses in verse 4. Why does he speak to Moses? Why doesn't the Lord speak to all the people? I kind of guess because Moses is the, can I say it, the only one who cried out to the Lord. I wonder what would happen if someone else cried out to the Lord, if the Lord would have spoke to them. 
If the tribe of Juan said, Lord, please, come on, please, man, Lord, I'm like really hungry, man, Lord. Would the Lord speak to him? And would the Lord speak to him in perfect English? I really don't know. <laughs> that was perfect English. And so he says to Moses, because Moses did cry out to the Lord and he said, I love you, one. That's not what he said. He said, although he will say that to you, one, he just won't say it to me because that would be weird. And he says, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now understand, when God gives a test, it's never because he needs to know the answer. He already knows where you're at. You don't. When God's walking in the cool of the garden, Adam and Eve are hiding, and he goes, Adam, where are you? Do you think God doesn't know? Do you think God's like, wow, you're good. Adam, where are you? I should have made this place less thick. Or like Adam glowing or something. No, it's like God knows, but he's like, Adam, do you have any clue where you're at right now? Have you ever done that? Where you've kind of dug into the world a little bit, and you lie so good you believe your own lies? And you'll look at me or someone that loves someone else that loves the Lord, and and then you'll go, I'm fine. But man, we see that you don't have the joy that you used to have, or the or the passion, the hunger for the Word. You don't enjoy fellowship like you used to, and you know you're running. And they look and they're like, I love you. What's going on? And you're like, I'm fine. And you know it's British here, so we don't want to be like, I want to crawl into your grill, and I'm not leaving until you actually confess. Now I'm going to do it anyway, so you might not want to be around me. But but in it, it's like, you know, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I'm like, where are, where are you? No, I, I really don't know. But I can tell you, I've watched with every one of us here, I've watched with people that I love very closely here, times, man, where it's like you hear the name of Jesus and your heart skips beat. And there are other times where you hear the name of Jesus and it just skips everything else. I was like, and I'm going to show you where you're at right now because otherwise you won't realize why it's merciful to let you die out in the wilderness. So here's the deal. I'm going to provide for you. I want you to get what you need for the day. That's it. Jesus taught us that, right? When he said, give us this day our daily bread. Do you realize what he was pulling from? He was pulling from this. And here's the scary part. If you were honest, and I'm going to be honest with you, wouldn't you love it if God gave all of your life's provision right now? It's like instead of like give, instead of giving tomorrow, what's tomorrow, the day after tomorrow? What if God just said, for, you know, Landon, the amount of money that I'm going to give you for the rest of your life is two million pounds. So I'll just give it to you now if you want. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. But then I realized there's only one guy that doesn't in Scripture and it doesn't work out so well for him for a while. And that's the son he said, give me all that I've got coming, and then squanders it all. You see, there's something about God providing tomorrow for tomorrow that allows me to be able to tell you how God is still my God of today. Does that make sense? And I've heard it said, you'll never know that he's all you need until he's all you have, and I hate that. Because I would really love for God to be everything, but really not really be everything. And he's like, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a place where you can't see provision. The wilderness is not a place where you're like, don't worry if God doesn't rain bread today, no big deal. I'll pick a little of this, I'll stick out my hands and palms will, you know, you know, dates will fall out. Well, we're not in that place now. Now we're walking around in the desert and it's like, and listen, God has put these people, two million people in a place, unless God provides, they're dead. That's the only option they have. Which one of you wants to volunteer for that? But wouldn't we all love the testimony they have later? I'm saying my shoes never got old and I like them. My clothes never wore out. I didn't die. He took care of me. The wilderness is a really good place, but we hate it. Now understand in this, it says, look, here's the deal. I'm going to provide for you every day, and this is how I want you to show your faith in me. First of all, I want you just to take for the day what I give you today. Don't hoard it. And when I provide beyond that so that you can rest with me, rest with me. And i got to tell you that, I'm not good with that. I, I don't know where you are, but I, I was raised poor, and I know what it's like to burrow and hide and keep things just in case. And I'd like to think of myself as a man of faith. 
verse 5 says, on the sixth day, I, I, it says you're going to gather twice as much because on the seventh, I want to just spend the day with you. Can we just spend the day together? Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron now said to the children of Israel, remember, God spoke to Moses. Moses has got to tell Aaron and Aaron's got to tell the people. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. Wouldn't you think by now you'd have figured that out? I don't know, the pillar of fire, God opening up the Red Sea, closing it up. I mean, is it interesting that even by this point, the people are still trying to figure it out who it was that the Lord, who it was that delivered them out of Egypt after ten plagues in Egypt? You know what's amazing? How quickly we'll give credit to something that isn't God, even after God does something so clearly that only He can do it. It's amazing how many times we'll even give ourselves the credit. By the time this whole thing is done and Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments, remember the people are like, you know what, we really don't know about this guy that delivered us. Aaron, would you make us something we can touch and feel? Because I need something tangible. I don't know about this God I can't see in here. I need something tangible. Can, and, can you make me a cow? I don't know about you, that sounds a little odd to me. But I understand from the gods of Egypt. And so they, they collect all this gold, they fashion this cow. And then the people say, listen to this, you are the God that delivered us out of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Even then they want to go and give someone else credit for it. And then it even gets funnier because Moses will come down. He's there with Joshua. Joshua says, this sounds like battle. This sounds like people are dying. And Moses turns and goes, oh, I'm really sorry. That's just the choir. And, you know, they're singing. That's what they sound like. Oh, okay. And they go down there and they see all these people naked dancing around a gold thing. And, and Moses goes up to Aaron. And he goes, what? What's this? And Aaron, classic, mans up to the situation. He goes, I don't know. We threw gold in the fire and poof, out came this cow. And you think, ah. You need to know it's the Lord who got you out of this. It's the Lord who not only delivered you out of hell, but it was the Lord who delivered you from that addiction. It was the Lord who got you out of that situation you hated so bad that you cried out to God when you were hanging on the cliff and said, God, I'll serve you with everything. And then when he pulled you off the cliff, he said, see you next cliff. It was the God who pulled you out of that situation when you thought that the creditors were going to destroy your life or you thought that whatever that person was going to kill you or you thought that that stalker was after you or whatever it was. Then somehow the whole thing stopped. The, the craziness happened. You felt like all of hell and the demons were just pounding on your face. And you said, Jesus! And they all fled. And then you went, wow, that was really cool. I'm so good I said that word. And we forget. God says, you need to know that. It's going to be me and only me. Verse 7, it says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he hears your complaints against the Lord. Now, what are we that you complain against us? And I understand Moses is already getting tired of the people complaining. But when you've got two million people complaining at you, a second of that's way too much. Moses said then, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. Remember, that's what they said. We wish we had that bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints that you make against him. What are we? Your complaints aren't against us. They're against God. Moses spoke to Aaron and said to the congregation of the children of Israel. Remember, Aaron's the spokesman. Come near before the Lord. He has heard your complaints. And I don't want you to miss what takes place in verse 10 because it is so beautiful and profound. What's behind us? Okay, let's try that again. Hi, everyone. Welcome. What's behind us? The place of the pools and the so what's behind us? Elam, the place of the pools and the palms. Did you get that? The place we wish we were even at this moment, right? What's in front of us? The wilderness, barrenness. Are you with me on that? Now, we keep thinking, oh, Lord, I just know if I sat at that pool, I would see you there. I just knew if I stick out my hands and the dates came, I would. And for some of you that are single, you're probably saying that that way, too. But anyways, and then when the dates came, I just know it would be you, Lord. It's your provision. And oh, it's the plenty and the peace and the comfort. Oh, that. Now, look at verse 10. It says, and it came to pass that Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel and that they looked towards the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Now, here's my question to you. Where did they see the Lord's glory? In front of them or behind them? Where? In front. Where was it? Was it at Elam or the wilderness? The wilderness. Don't miss that. Here they were. They could look back at this place. They could look back and what was behind them again? Elam. The place of the pools and the palms. They could look back and go, oh, look at that plenty. Look at that provision. Oh, look at that comfort. 
Oh, the pools. I did the backstroke for three days straight. You know, oh, this is so beautiful. And all the palms and the food and all that. But in the wilderness, there's barrenness in front of us. And we're looking up, there's barrenness in front of us. And we're going, that can't possibly. And there, there in front of us where there's nothing. There's no provision. There's no trees. There's no pools of water. But there somehow, that cloud that's supposed to be leaning us is going. Which God says, that's where we're going. And we're like, oh, I don't want to go there. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord appears there. Now listen, Excuse me. (coughs) Hi. At those moments when the Lord wants to pull you out of your situation and you're like, I don't know what he has. You're hanging out with a crew and they're a bad crew. You're in a relationship and it's a bad relationship. You're working at a place and you know you need to be out of it. You know, you're in a situation and you're like, but I, I don't want to leave it because I don't know what I'm leaving it for. That's my Elam. I love that place. I mean, I don't want to... What if I have no friends here? What if I die single here? What if I get no job here? What if I shrivel up and die here? God says, this is what my glory is. Because here, only I can do it. Back there, you could say you did it. I can do it. Do you get it? Because that's the problem. Is when we feel like we leave God for nothing, we are the biggest fools. But when we feel like we leave everything and think we leave it all for nothing, then we're even crazier because if the Lord is going this way and we leave everything we know for Him, and we call him everything, how could we ever be alone? I mean, imagine Jesus died to be with us, and we're thinking, but I don't want to leave that, then I'll be alone. And Jesus goes, I left everything just to be with you. And look at what he got. He got me. It wasn't like I came with a bag of goods. I came with a bag of issues. It was a big bag. And I'm learning, the bag's not empty yet. I wish it were. And there at the wilderness, the glory of the Lord shows up. At a place where we're like, I don't know about this. But they looked toward the wilderness and that's where they saw the glory of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 11. He said, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them now, saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So when that quails came up at evening, does anyone know what quails are? No, I don't know. Suzanne, do you actually have the slide for that poor thing? Okay. Can we show them a slide of a, of a quail? That would be really nice. There you go. That's a quail. They're kind of cute, aren't they? But if you're hungry, they're delicious. So, <laughs> now what I do like about it is if you're kind of in the wilderness, and these are Middle Eastern, by the way, here. Um, this guy has no clue he's going to be dinner. Can you tell that? He's kind of like, what, what, what? Now, imagine when it says that they cover the ground. Now, that's about the same color as sand. And I think there's a little humor, but it even gets funnier here in a moment. I don't know if you'll ever, well, I hope you get it with me. But all of a sudden, God's going to say, there's, I'm going to cover the ground with something that's almost, this, it's almost like God saying, I'm going to cover the ground with chameleons, except you can eat these. And so it says, quails came up at evening. And so, by the way, verse 12, it says, that the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will find bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Because what I really want you to know is that I'm not just the Lord God, I'm the Lord your God. And part of the way that you're going to know that I'm your God is the way that I take care of you. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. Covered the camp. Now, covering the camp doesn't just mean they cover the ground, does it? That means you actually, I mean, imagine, you're laying in your tent, and all of a sudden you're, and you're like, all of a sudden you see these little imprints on your, on your tent. And you see, you ever, you ever have anything like that? Any of you have ever been in a tent and something has landed on it, like these birds, and then they walk around and it's like the funniest little thing. And all of a sudden it's like, and they all start to, the, the tent starts to bellow in. And you're like, what in the world is this? And you walk out and the whole thing's like, and you're just covered now with all of these quail. And you think, meat to the full, who's ready? I mean, at that point, you just grab a big stick and go, 
and get like six of them and then put it on the fire. No, it gets funnier here in a moment. But understand, quail is really rich in a lot of the things you need when you're out in the, in the, in the uh, sun. So it says that quails came up at evening, covered the camp. And then here's the best part. Ready? And in the morning, a dew lay all around the camp. When the dew lifted, there was a, on the surface small, round substance that God's going to tell us later is white. Now, I don't know if you got that. A bunch of birds just covered your land. You ate them all, and then you woke up in the night morning, and in the morning there was a bunch of little white splotches. And you think, uh-huh. and then someone says, man, which is the Hebrew word for what? <laughs> it is. Like, oh, man, means, oh, what? To this day, if you knock on the door in Israel, someone will go, mazi, what means, what is it? So they go, ma. What? And God goes, that's your food. And you had a bunch of birds there the other day. You open up your tent, little white spots. And you're like, oh, man, those quails, we should have killed them quicker. And they're like, what is that? And God's like, that's your food. You're like, no. I goes, yeah, there's your food. And people go, really? What are we going to call it? We're going to call it, what? That's literally what manno means. So imagine it's like, what are we having today? What? What are we having today? No, what? What are we having? We're having what? This is what we're having tomorrow. Manicotti. Mana sandwiches. Sorry. Anyway, so it says, look, at they say, what is it? They didn't know what it was. Moses said, by the way, this is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. It says that the, that thing in which the Lord has commanded, let every man gather for himself, listen, each according to your need, one omer for each person. Now, which one of you is ready to go? Awesome. I'm going to get an omer. When was the last time you, you got an omer of something? Yeah, that's the problem, huh? Does anyone have any reference to that? I do to help. I could actually do things more in a sort of just volume way, but let me do it this way. Can you picture a recycle bin? Those kind of triangular, I'm sorry, triangular, those rectangular ones that you put out that you put your stuff in? Basically, one of those is about an omer and a quarter to an omer and a half, to give you an idea. So basically, one of those, the small ones, the brown ones, is basically an omer. One of those is what you're going to gather a day. It's a lot of food, actually, isn't it? So everyone gets an omer. So he goes, look at it. Gather your omers, boys. And by the way, it's interesting. If you look at the text, God's actually, it looks like he holds the man responsible to getting the food for his family. I do like that, by the way. Quails came up at night. This came out in the morning, and they're like, what is that? Verse 16. The Lord commanded, every man gather according to each one's need, the omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those that are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And listen to this. Every man gathered according to each one's need. Here's one of the things that I learned in the wilderness. One of the first things I learned in the wilderness is that I'm going to see God's glory there. God, God's glory is rather easy to spot in the wilderness. Can I say that again? God's glory is easy to spot in the wilderness. But let me tell you one of the other things that happens in the wilderness. God starts to divorce my want from need. The people could want a lot of things, but they're going to get what they need. And I guarantee you, nobody here is arguing over who has the latest iPad. Dare I say it? Not, no one here is arguing over whether it's this year's diesel jeans or last year's diesel jeans. And I'm not trying to pick on those things. But caught in the Western world, it is really hard sometimes to remember what we need versus what we want. And we'll tell God we need it. I need that Xbox. In the wilderness, when God spartans out your life, it gets to the place, to be honest, where all of a sudden, needs become needs and wants become irrelevant and unnecessary. Here at this place now. And it's a rough place. Now what's interesting is, follow me on this. God said he would rain down this bread. 
In other words, this bread has to come down from heaven. And that's the way that people saw it. The bread that came down from heaven. Now, I want to remind you, this is the second time God's done something really weird like that. The first time, to be honest, was when it rained the first time. When Noah told people that water was going to fall from the sky, please understand, never in the history of the world had water ever fallen from the sky. What we read is that God had underground water tables that came up and watered the ground that landed on. So when Moses said, water's going to fall down from the sky, I'm collecting a zoo and a boat. And understand, the boat might have seemed weird to you, but the weirder part was that you said water was going to fall down from the sky. And people went, oh, that is so unscientific. Do you know, we know science. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. Prove that empirically. Yeah, well, by the time you figure it out, it will be too late. Now, on the other side of it, now God says, I'm going to rain bread. Bread's going to fall down from heaven. And you go, what? And the bread comes out, and it's, look at, you have no other choice. It's, well, you do, sand. Which one of you wants to die of that? You have sand, or you have this bread. This bread is your life. If you don't eat this bread, you can say, I don't like it. I don't like white things. I don't like white bread, or whatever. Is this bleached? Is this enriched? Is this, you know, whatever. But in the end of it all, you're either eating it or you're dying. There's no other option. God didn't say there's this, and then there's something that's a little bit more gold and fat and round. You can have that. Or God says, look at this is your option. This is the one option to keep you alive. And at that moment, if you ran around and said, look it, I have something that will keep you alive. It's this bread that came down from heaven. You could say, well, that's closed-minded. I want another option. I'd say, well, you can eat sand and die fat and dry. But on the other side of it, God has this provision for you. You haven't earned it. It's a gift from him. He's, it's his responsibility to provide for you and his responsibility alone. And you can look and go, oh, come on. It's interesting because Jesus then turns to us he had already fed the 5,000, and the people say, hey, read really, now understand, they meet him the next morning. He had fed 5,000. See how people try to even, try to hornswoggle Jesus, but he's too smart for that. They're like, hey, so uh, we've uh, met you in the morning now, and we'd like to see a miracle from you. Jesus is like, really, what kind of miracle? And they're like, well, you know, our, our fathers ate bread in the wilderness. Do you get it? It's like they show up the next day after Jesus gives them bread and they're looking for French toast. That's kind of the idea. That tomorrow, you're making waffles. That's the idea. And Jesus looks, and you can see, Jesus looks and goes, you know, the problem is if you eat that bread, you're going to be hungry again, as you're clearly demonstrating by showing up to me right now. But I'm the bread that came down from heaven. You go, what? You're the bread that came down from heaven? Yeah, see, when that bread came down, it was the only option, but it was the option that kept them alive. And they went, what? I don't, I don't get it. And they're like, don't, you don't have to get it. Just gather it, take it to yourself, and let me keep you alive. Let me be your life. And they're like, wow. The problem is when people ate that, they still died in the wilderness. But Jesus says, I am the perfect bread from heaven. Man, you take of me. I have to be in you. I can't, you just, I'm not just going to sit on your head like a hat and say, that's enough. You think you know about me and you're an expert. I need to be inside of you. Like Delek, the moment she said yes to Jesus, he came inside of her. He needs to be in you. So you know where it says, is it in you? Might I say, is he in you? He's asking for permission, and God's a gentleman. He doesn't say, I knock at the door, and if you don't let me in, I'm kicking the door down and getting in the chopper. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you open the door, I'll come in. He's a gentleman. Have you opened the door to the Lord? So let's wrap this around to close it. So it says then here, they look at it, what is it? It's bread that came down from heaven. By the way, for, for your own Matthew chapter 5 and 6. Look at it yourself. I'm sorry, not Matthew. John chapter 5 and 6, if you want, for that bread that came down from heaven, Jesus speaking. Let a man take for himself. This is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Verse 17. Then the children of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less, each one according to their need. But now we start to see how they're failing the test. Moses said, let no one leave any until morning. Notwithstanding, verse 20, they did not heed Moses. Some of them left it, a part of it, until morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Can I say, remember, listen, what God wants is he wants to be your daily bread. He wants to be the God of today, not just the God of before. And you're like, well, why didn't God deliver me of everything the moment I said yes? Because he wants to be the God of today, too. But to do that, he's like, look at what I provide for you today, use today. I've got more provision tomorrow. And if you don't trust me in that, you will hoard today. But what if he gives you more than you can possibly hold today? My angels encourage you to share with someone else. Isn't that what Jesus said? Imagine what would happen if we're like, you know, I'm sure of that. Can I just use this as an example and we'll close this up? We're, getting, we're right at the end now. When my, youngest, when my oldest daughter was younger, she gave away almost every toy. 
It was really fun to watch. She had a lot of friends, needless to say. Um, and I just remember that. I mean, I give her these things and it was like getting flowers. You know, you get that initial big smile. Thank you. That was so thoughtful. And then she'd already start thinking about who she was going to give it to. And at first I kind of wondered, wow, does she not like these things or what? And I just remember one day kind of pulling her aside and going, you know, and just, hey, just want to check and make sure you're okay with these things. And she's like, oh, yeah, I love them. And I love giving them away. And I go, really? She goes, yeah, because I just know you'll just get me more. That was her attitude. And to be honest, I was so touched by that because I could hear the Lord speaking to me and saying, now, what about you, Holmes? That's kind of how the Lord speaks to me, but uh, doesn't have to speak to you that way. And he's like, no, really. I mean, are you quick to give away because you just know I'll take care of you tomorrow? Or you're like, man, I better, I, better, I better just make sure. Now, I'm not telling you to be stupid. What I'm telling you is if the Lord gives to you, stop holding on to it so tightly because the Lord can take it away and you won't even enjoy it anyways. There was a man who had such abundance, he was filling his silos with his harvest. And when he looked, he said, you know what the problem is? And doesn't this just sound like anyone in the room other than yourself? Um, he says, you know, the problem is I've got more than I can possibly store. So the problem is I need bigger storage. Now I need to go higher outside. I want to get one of those outside garages somewhere where I pay per month. And I need bigger storage. And God said that night, he spoke to the man. He said, you fool. I don't know about you, but I have no interest in God ever saying that to me. You fool. Tonight your life is going to be required of you. And now what, what is it good for Howard Hughes, who was one of the richest men that had ever lived, um, turned into a psychotic about germs. He got really, really concerned about it, lived in kind of a germless environment, which is also unhealthy. But ultimately, when he passed away, he had this really great accountant, and someone had interviewed the accountant and said, so exactly how much did he leave behind? And the accountant, a little savvy, looks at the reporter and says, well, what do you mean? He left it all. And in the end of it all, you've probably heard it said, I've never heard of a storage bin being pulled from the back of a hearse. In the end of it all, you leave it. And wouldn't it be great if you could bless people with it when you did? Now, I'm not taking a special collection here. I'd rather you bless each other. But what about your time? What about your compassion? The information God's given you? You're like, well, I don't know everything. God says, did I require that? But if you're gifted with a screwdriver and a hammer, do you realize how helpful that can be for the kingdom of God? You've got a little extra time and you just need, there are people out there that just want someone that will pray with them. Do you have the time? Can you bake a pie? You know how that could bless people? Can you bake a cherry pie? <laughs> Anyways, I'm just... Just hypothetically, he's asking, taking a survey. Hey, show of hands. Oh, anyways, all right. <laughs> some gathered some, some gathered less, each according to their needs. Some actually stored. And what's interesting, remember the word here for breathing words and stunk is the word room. It's the same word. If you remember when Israel left proud or bold, and the idea of it was that was something so proud that it breeds worms. That's the same word that's here now. I think that's interesting you chose such a word. Verse 22. But that's the first of our two problems. So it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. That's what they were supposed to do, by the way. So the next day they could just take a, a holiday with the Lord. Which, by the way, holiday is supposed to be holy day. You're aware of that, right? So then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath. Rest the holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake today. Boil what you'll boil today. And lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So Friday's come. You're aware of the fact Sabbath's a Saturday. So Friday's come. Gather twice as much. Now bake it and have it waiting for you tomorrow. Tomorrow's a leftover day so you can enjoy the Lord. So they laid it up till morning just as Moses commanded. And it didn't stink. Nor were there any worms in it. Verse 25. Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord and you will, find, you will not find it in the field. Six days you're going to gather it on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath. There will be none. Now, what happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the, can I just say here becomes the other problem. The first is when God gives you abundance, you want to hoard it instead of use it and give it. On the other side of it, that there, when God gives it to you, you don't rest. 
and be with him. And here's the crazy part. God starts blessing your business and you say, I can't make it to church. I can't be in fellowship. I can't be around other Christians because I'm too busy investing in my business. And in the end of it all, it sounds a lot like the, the seed that falls among the weeds that choke the life out of it because the cares and the worries of the world and deceitfulness of wealth. In the end of it, it's like God's like, I'm blessing it so you can take that day and enjoy each other. Not so that they can eat you, choke the life out of you. The Lord said to Moses, verse 28. By the way, if you really do want to work every day when the Lord's called you to be with him, you're going to find nothing on that day and you're going to work really hard and get nothing out of it. How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath, therefore, the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. By the way, that's a discipline for some of us. And the house of Israel called its name what? Mana. And it was like white coriander seed. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, this is the thing in which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that you may see the bread which I fed you with in the wilderness, which I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take the pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for all generations. Which means even when they get into the promised land and the, the bread will stop, they'll always have this bowl to remind them of how God took care of them for 40 years. Now from this day on, every day except for Saturday, every day they're going to be able to get this from the ground. Every day. For 40 years, without fail, we don't read that God ever pulls this out. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Which, by the way, according to the book of Hebrews... Chapter 9, verse 4, when God speaks about that ark of the tabernacle, it's in the ark, is what he says. What was in it? The golden censer of the ark of the covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, which were the golden pot, which had the manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the tablets of covenant, which we're actually about to get soon. So the Lord commanded it, Aaron laid it up, and the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came into the inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And then, just to make sure that we're all clear, the Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. That should remove all doubt for you guys with that. So if we do the math on this, and there are roughly two million people after 40 years, that means that the people of Israel ate roughly one and a half billion bushels of manna. It's a lot of manna. Now, let me bring this to close. Here we are in the wilderness. We're at a place called the wilderness of sin. In front of us is Sinai, barrenness. Behind us is what? Again, what's behind us? Elam, the place of the pools and the palms, right? So behind us is this place we would much rather go to. And interestingly enough, the people would have rather actually gone beyond that back to Egypt. Isn't that strange? Even though the entire army of Egypt has just been killed, and we saw that, here we are now. It's been a little more than a month that we've been out of the, of the land of our bondage and already we're wanting to go back. It's only been a month plus. Isn't that crazy? And the reason is because the Lord is going to start exposing things in our life. And had we not been brought to the wilderness, we would have thought we were okay and the problem was Egypt. The problem is us now. And the Lord starts showing, and look at that bitterness. We need to get the stick in. We need to get that cross back where it belongs. That's where this whole thing starts. And you'll never have to go there again. Because if you do what I say, I'm the God who not just changes you, I heal you. And I'll heal you from that. But now as we got a little bit further, God's like, look, now I want to show you your problem with selfishness. Can I do that? And with selfishness, when I give you stuff, man, look at trust me. I want you to trust me that I'll provide for you tomorrow. And if you really trusted that I would provide for you that way, you'd actually share more. And you'd stop trying to get other people's stuff. Imagine we both walk out of the tent. I walk out of the tent. Paul walks out of the tent. We are in the same area. Now, if it all looks the same, it isn't like any manna is going to be nicer than any other. But you know, sooner or later, they're going to say the manna is always whiter on the other side of the tent. Right? And, you know, we're kind of looking at it. And, like, we're both dropping shoulder to see which one of us is going to get the choice manna. But it's all the same. But in the end of it all, if I know God's going to give for me tomorrow, for tomorrow that I can actually, strangely enough, enjoy what he gives me today because I'm not busy trying to figure out what tomorrow is going to happen. No, look, at there are some of us here, and I know this, we don't live off of that paycheck. It isn't like every week we just know we're hired by it. But let's be honest, even the people who get the paycheck every week and it's the same amount and you've already budgeted it, 
How many of you are totally secure right now in this economy that you think, no, I'm sure, dead sure, that by next week I'll still have this job? Or the next year I'll still have this job? I mean, in the end of it all, no matter where you work, God signs the check. I mean, assuming you're working someplace that God's not totally disagreeing with. Now, in that, friends, can I just say that the Lord would really love it if we did what we were supposed to, which was trust Him? Because if we really did, the rest of the world should be freaking out. The economy's falling in the tank. They are freaking out. But you know what? My God's got the cattle on a thousand hill, and I praise God that that's not all of heaven, because cows stink. That's not my hill. But all the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But the greatest prosperity will never be if he gave me all the gold of the world. Because if he gave me that and I didn't have his presence, I would be miserable. I've had more money than I could spend. It's not the place to be. But I tell you, I've never been richer in my life. Because I'm walking with the one who satisfies me. And Jesus says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Stop worrying about tomorrow. It won't make you anything but miserable. It's not going to make you any taller or make you more equipped. Be prepared. But in it, love the Lord and enjoy what he gives you. And first and foremost, that starts with him. If the most important thing to him is you, and in that he wants to enjoy you, have you accepted his gift? When he died on the cross and you were on his mind, have you accepted that gift? When he looked at all of your sins and still wanted you, did you, have you accepted that gift? When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like one who walked through the field, saw a jewel so precious that he gave up everything to have it, so that he could buy it? Do you really think the kingdom of heaven is something that you look, at, you look at like a jewel so you can buy it? It says that you were bought at a price. When the Lord walked through this field, he saw you. And you were so precious, he gave up everything to buy you, to have you. That's the way he sees it. The one thing God really wants to enjoy today is you. That's what he was looking for. That's what I'd really like to do, and we're way on time. Glory to God. I want to pray, and if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ today, I would like you to ask with me, and I'm going to be honest, to say, Lord, can I be content in you today? I'd really like to walk content with you today. And whatever it is you want me chasing after or pursuing or whatever, Lord, I want to do it, but I want to do it because I'm incomplete. I want to do it out of the abundance of my contentedness in you. To not fulfill me, you fulfill me. And in that, that today God would completely eradicate from us and heal us from all bitterness. And then no matter where he takes us, that we would see his glory. And we would be willing to leave anything for him. No matter how spartan the information is that's in front of us. If he's in front of us, it's worth it. If you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love for today to be the day you could say on this day, I accepted Jesus' gift and became brand new. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I just want to thank you for the gift of this day. What a sweet day. What a beautiful text. And Lord, in that now, I just want to thank you for the way you've gone before us. I thank you, Lord. I know that we may not understand everything, but we understand this much, Lord. You have to provide for us or we're, 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 we're lost, no matter how hard we work. And so, Lord, I just pray that as you continue to walk us, Lord, into places less familiar than the land we came from. But the land we came from was a land of bondage. So why would we want to be familiar with that anyways? But, Lord, today, that as you speak to our hearts, God, that we would be willing to forsake everything and leave everything for you. And, Lord, no matter what that is. Lord, whether that's a relationship that doesn't, that isn't on the level with you, whether that's a crowd of people that we know don't belong to you or are terrible influences to us, Lord, whether it's an environment that I know you don't want us in, Lord, we, we lie to ourselves and say it's a ministry, but in the end of it all, it's just a place to backslide. God, whatever it is today, no matter what little information we have, if we're going to you, towards you to leave it, Lord, we know it's always going to be a trade-up, and it's the best trade. So, Lord, give us the courage to make that step today. Give us the courage to step and say, Lord, whatever it is, I want you to be everything. And in that, Lord God, right now, I just pray 
that you would minister to our hearts and give us the comfort and the excitement to know, Lord, that whatever it is you have for us, it's going to be best. And Lord, for those right now that are struggling with the what ifs, Lord, we could kill ourselves with the what ifs. Lord, how ridiculous would it be just to say, well, what if you didn't provide? Well, what we're really looking for is to trust in you. Lord, you, you tell us that you withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. And you promise, Lord, that if we're willing to listen intently and to follow you, to do as you say, that you would heal us, that you would strengthen us, and you would provide perfectly for us. Now, you never promised that you would give us everything we want, but that you would give us everything we need. That's what's important. And Lord, in that, if we were to delight in you, that you would place within our hearts desires, Lord, that you would gladly give. But we want you to be our delight. So, Lord, I know that we are your delight, which amazes me that I could be your delight. But I thank you for it. And right now, Lord, in this room, you know if there be any who have yet to say yes to you. And right now in this room, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or you're not sure if you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, but today, today, you know that if that's where this whole thing starts, and if the Lord really is willing to offer you perfect forgiveness, and to come and live inside of you to deliver you first from the penalty of all you've ever done and will do, but also then deliver you from the power of that sin. Then I ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. I'm going to pray this prayer. I ask you to listen. And at the end of it all, I ask you to give a resounding, confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be mine. And here it is. God in heaven. I confess to you, I'm broken. I've done wrong, I've thought wrong, I've felt wrong. And you as a righteous judge, you have a right to punish all wrong. But you so love me that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. That I wouldn't have to perish. That he died on the cross so that all of my wrong could be paid for, all of my sins. And in that, because he died... My penalty died with it. And if all you're asking for me to do is to accept that gift of your payment, then I say yes. I may not understand everything, but if you're willing to declare me innocent and you're the God who created me to be with you, then I say yes. But Jesus says, you died on the cross and rose again. Now you offer me a new life. And I want to say yes to that new life you have where you're my Lord. So I say yes to you. Declaring you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, come and live inside me now. I give you permission. And transform me from the inside out. Because I'm yours now. Jesus, in your name. Amen.